I want you to go ahead and take a few minutes to kind of talk amongst yourselves within your group. Um, and if you feel comfortable kind of talking about that story within your group around the table, maybe share it. And the folks around the table, encourage them to come up and share, right? Um, maybe they get a little practice in uh, telling it in a smaller group and realizing that really standing up here and talking to all of these wonderful friends that we have here at Crosswalk, it's not that scary a thing. All right, so we'll go ahead, go ahead and take seven minutes to do that uh, amongst your table. I'll let you know when that's done, and then we'll get started uh, with the sharing. Thanks, everybody. I read the 
out there keep it going um, but I'm, I'm gonna say if you have decided that you do want to share go ahead and write your name on one of the clue in pieces of paper on your table and there's a little tin right here in front of me and just fold it up and drop your name in there please Surprised. I honestly thought uh, I had Anne, uh, Anne prepared a story to share today, and the whole week we were telling each other this might be the only one. Um, so I just think I, this is like a huge testament to the community that we have here. That so many of us like are going to feel comfortable standing up in front of each other and talking in this way. I think it's really, really beautiful. So. So, our first storyteller today is going to be Danny Newman. And just so you know, I'm going to sit down here in the front. You don't have to stare at me. But because we have so many stories, we're just going to try to keep them all to five minutes. So when it gets to, to five minutes, I'm not gonna like give you the Yankee off the stage or you know, I can't play the music like we do at the Oscars, but I'll just give you a little wave and that's just the, the signal to kind of be aware that you gotta wrap things up, okay? Cool. 
Danny, take it away. So something completely, totally unexpected. I was, and this will be a very short story. Um, 15 years old and going to school, high, Napa High. We had just moved back here from Hawaii. And my mom had an aneurysm burst in her brain. And she was in a coma for six weeks. During that period, I had just started going to Napa High and joined a group called Young Life. And these people were amazing. They believed in Jesus. They walked with Jesus. They were happy people. They were very encouraging. They were super supportive to me and everything that I was going through at the time, right? They were amazing. And I kind of was on the fence about, do I want to be with them or do I want to do something different? However, what ended up happening was my mom woke up out of a coma after six weeks and said, I could feel people praying for me. And at that moment, I knew that Jesus was going to be in my life forever. So that's my unexpected story. Thank you, Danny. Yep. See, that wasn't so hard, right? <laughs> okay. Um, next up, we have uh, Brenda Cumberbatch. Sunday, after Pete asked us all to think about something unexpected, uh, this came to mind, and so I wrote a story about an unexpected experience that I had. As far back as I can remember, I have believed in God and the saving power of Jesus Christ. For me, he is the superstar. I've always felt the encompassing power of the Holy Spirit in my life. As a girl, I wrote poetry about the beauty of nature and the power of God in the universe. I have never felt that God was far away. I felt I could always connect with God in prayer. I've had many personal experiences with God's saving power and restoring power. One particular adventure still amazes me. It was quite unexpected. I was driving home on a seldom used country road up in Calaveras County. I was driving too fast for the potential danger in the remote area. One side of the road was a sheer cliff over a steep canyon. All of a sudden, an eagle, seldom seen in the area, came swooping down in front of my car. To keep the bird from crashing into my windshield, I slammed on my brakes and came to a screeching halt. Thank God there wasn't a car behind me. After I caught my breath and slowly resumed my drive, I was shocked to see the danger that had awaited me. Around the curve immediately in front of me was a tow truck sideways on the road there would have been no way to avoid the tow truck. It had a long cable stretched down the canyon to an overturned car. In the canyon were several people trying to hitch the cable to the car. <laughs> had I hit the tow truck, not only would have the driver have been killed, but also those people in the canyon. 
and myself as well. I will never forget that sight. There's no doubt in my mind that that eagle was sent from God to aid me in a desperate moment. God's blessings always arrive in the right moment. I pray others can see the miracles in their lives. We are never alone, not in our homes, not on a desolate road in the country. I have become a prayer warrior on my own. My prayer is that others will see the miracles that happen to them every day. I believe happiness can only come through belief in a power outside our earthly experiences. I will keep the faith and with God's help, always give a prayer of thanksgiving for my life. Thank you, Brenda. All right, next up we have Reese. you the story of my son Evan. Um, so you guys probably know my daughter Daniela and she's amazing and me and my husband Dan always planned on having two kids and then once we had her we were like she's too perfect we don't need any more kids we're, we're done. <laughs> um, but then one day last year in May I just felt like our family wasn't complete and I um, said to my husband I think I think we should have another child. And he said, I say fine. And that wasn't the unexpected part, but it was funny. And then I was like, okay, great. So then I told my obstetrician and she was like, well, you're in your forties, you should probably go see a fertility doctor. So we did, we saw a fertility doctor and they said, you probably can't have a child. You're too old, so come back next week and we'll start the medicines. And then when I got to that appointment, I was already pregnant, but that was not the unexpected part. And so then they did an ultrasound and there was like something weird about it and they were like, we think you have a complication. So I had to sit around all day waiting for a radiologist to read my report, blah, blah, blah. And they said, actually, the problem is that you have two babies, it's identical twins, but that was not the unexpected part. And so then we came back the next week and they looked at baby A and baby B and they said, actually, only one baby has a heartbeat. And so it's only going to be one baby and that was not the unexpected part. So then we waited months and months to tell our daughter because we didn't want her to be disappointed if we had like an early miscarriage or whatever and we got all the genetic testing and da 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 da. And I kind of expected her to be like disappointed that it wasn't a sister because we had found out it was going to be a boy. And um, so we said, Daniela, you're going to have a baby brother. And she never once the whole entire time said, I wish it was a girl, I wish it was a sister. She was just like, oh my God, my brother, I get to have a brother, I'm so happy. And that was also not the unexpected part. So then when um, we went through the pregnancy and it was a really, really, really hard pregnancy, I spent most of the time in bed and um, my husband was amazing and my daughter was amazing and we all worked together to get through the pregnancy and then in the, in the ninth month, we went to an ultrasound and we found out that he had a congenital heart defect and there was nothing they could do to save his life. And that was also not the unexpected part. And so we went through the final weeks of the pregnancy knowing that he was going to die. And um, our whole community came, including you guys, <laughs> came around us and just like held us tight. And it was really hard. And um, so, we also had to tell our daughter that the little brother she was expecting 
um, wasn't going to get to come home. And um, she cried along like for 45 minutes and then she said um, when he's born I still want to hold him and um, so like what that meant was he was she was going to come into a hospital and hold a dying baby and that's odd but I guess in the congenital heart community that's not very unusual because often children feel sidelines if they don't get to meet their siblings so this happens a lot so that um, we decided if she wanted to, she could come and meet her baby brother. Um, and that was also about the unexpected part. So then uh, we go to the hospital, and we were supposed to be induced at a certain day at a certain time, and they didn't have any room in the hospital. So we had to sit in, the in like a hotel down the street and just like look at our phones and like wait and wait and wait and wait. And a day and a half later, they said, okay, we're ready for you guys. Go ahead and come in, come and have your baby. So they induced me and I went into labor and um, he was alive through the whole labor. We didn't know if he was gonna be born having already passed away or if we were gonna get to meet him alive. We didn't know how it was gonna work. We didn't know if it was gonna be two in the morning, eight in the morning, we didn't know. My daughter was down the street with my mom and my sister and we were just waiting um, for him to be born. And so the moment came when he was gonna be born. So we had her come down with my mom and my sister. It was the middle of the night um, and he was alive still and he was about to be born but it was like if he's not born like right this minute like he's not going to live to meet us so they rushed the delivery and everything and he came out and they set him on my chest and this was the unexpected part was that he wasn't like a dying baby or like a, a baby who was going to die who I wasn't going to bring home or I wasn't going to raise he was just like my baby <laughs> and like the amount of love that I felt for this child it was kind of eclipsed by all the decisions we had to make and all the like logistics and the this and the that. But like in the end, he was just our baby and he was just so perfect. And like the love that we felt for him was like so unexpected. Like in a way, in retrospect, it's obvious. You love your child, obviously. But like the love in that room was palpable not just for us but for every single medical provider who was there and there was about at least a dozen medical providers in that room tending to me and tending to him and um, so he laid on my chest and I just told him he was so perfect like perfect 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 and that we loved him loved him loved him and my husband got to hold him and our daughter got to hold him and he um, he actually passed away in her arms and um, for us, that meant that his life was truly complete um, when he had gotten a chance to be with each of us and to just feel each of our love. And so that's my unexpected story. Pat on your back, on, the, on your back to everybody. Like, what an amazing community we are that someone amongst us wants to get up and share, wants, wants to get up and share that story with us. I just, I, I just feel so blessed to be a part of this group. Okay, uh, next up we have Carrie. Woo, -hoo. Woo Carrie! Is <laughs> gonna have a butt joke in it? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. 
beautiful. Um, so I had the most delightfully unexpected moment. A um, few years ago, uh, on family vacation, uh, we were in Utah hiking uh, near the Sundance area, beautiful area, a lot of aspen trees and just beautiful area. And whenever I hike with a group, I always want to be in the back. I always want to be last because I, 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 I like to saunter, <laughs> as you guys have heard me. I want to take my time and take a picture or, you know, look at a flower closer or, you know, just be. And so I'm hiking along and I'm alone and all of a sudden I came upon this little aspen tree. And you know, aspens are known, they're called quaking aspens for a reason, because they, when a, a wind blows or a breeze, they, you know, they do this, they flutter. And so I'm walking along and here's this little aspen tree and a breeze blew and it, it did this. And I, and it was during a time when Pete had been teaching us that the same word pneuma is the same word for spirit, but it can be used the same word for wind or breath of God. And so I just had this feeling that this little aspen tree, this breeze blew, and it was like waving at me. And so I kind of self-consciously, like, you know, it was all by my, you know, I was alone. And so I waved back. <laughs> and all of a sudden, a bigger little breeze came, and that tree just went, boo, 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 boo. <laughs> And it was just this moment like God was saying, oh, she noticed, you know, and he was just so happy and just, you know, waved, waved back at me. And just delightfully unexpected and it will always be a precious God moment for me. Thank you, Carrie. Uh, next up, we have uh, Rebecca Paul. when I was 20, 22, and I was traveling in Europe with my soon-to-be husband, and we had met a fellow that was traveling with us for a short while. And we were on the island of Crete in Greece, and we decided to take this hike down the Sumerian Gorge. And this is in a very rural part of Crete, and it goes down this gorge and it goes out to the ocean. Well, it ended up to be steep and very rural. There were, we didn't see anybody else on the hike. And so we got down to the bottom and there was a stream or a couple of streams that came together and went out to the ocean. And I told the guys, you know, I'm much slower than you are, so I'm going to turn around and head back up the trail while you guys go on out to the ocean. And so I turned around and they went on. And so. Within about 10 minutes, I was lost. 
and um, it was where these creeks came together and I kept exploring each side and trying to look for the trail because the trail was pretty obvious. I could not find it. And so a little bit of the backstory is that I had been raised in a Christian family and it was mandatory that you participated in all church activities no matter what. And so I kind of felt force-fed and when I got to college, I walked away from that. And so here I am and it's getting to be later afternoon and I decide, okay, I'm going to pray. And I just said, God, please show me the way. I don't have any idea where to go and there's nobody to ask. And within just a few minutes, I found the trail and I headed on up and it was getting to be dusk. I was almost, you know, was getting towards the top and here come the guys down. They have these big backpacks on. They're carrying sleeping bags and food and all kinds of things thinking they had no idea what they were going to find or what condition I was going to be in. And, you know, in thinking back on this, I realized that this is one of those moments where immediately you ask for God's help and assistance and he was there. And so, I'm one of those really dumb, slow learners. <laughs> and I was away from the church for a really long time, but I'm very glad to be back here at Crosswalk. And now as I look back, I see that there's been several events in my life that are like that. Thank you. Thank you, Rebecca. That was awesome. Uh, next up, we have Candice. talk about the unexpected seven hour nine mile hike we did last time <laughs> two hour hike turned into a seven hour hike um, most of you know um, have well probably just from groups have heard this story before but this is my unexpected uh, back in 2010 um, was not really a good year um, I was going through the economic um, great recession like a lot of people um, I went from uh, taking a 75% uh, drop in income to having my home in foreclosure, of course. And so I was fighting to hold on to all that. Um, in the midst of it, I uh, quit smoking, <laughs> which had been another five-year journey, but I did. And still quit. But, um, you know, that just kind of added to the anxiety, I believe. But um, coming up on September 2nd will be 13 years that my brother died unexpectedly. It was sort of expected, unexpected. He had in-stage muscular dystrophy. He was 55 years old, but um, he died alone and it was very unexpected. Um, so in the midst of all that was going on, bankruptcy, foreclosure, dealing with, um, you know, with Ed's um, passing, uh, things were rough and um, it was about winter. So it was, it was kind of between that time between uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas when the weather turned cold and wet and dark, got dark early. Um, I was in Trader Joe's one night after work and I was, um, you know, doing some shopping and just tired and it was, you know, the sun was, you know, it was a cold rainy night so it was, it was getting dark. It was probably closing in on five o'clock so I was just, you know, not loving life at all. Just waiting to go home and, you know, crash in front of the television set and, and um, 
you know, just zone out. But um, all of a sudden, um, everything got quiet. And not literally quiet, but somehow quiet in my mind. And, um, and it wasn't a literal voice, it was just a thought that popped into my head. It said, be quiet and look around and see God in their eyes. And I did. I just, it kind of took me by surprise. I'm standing there in line and I'm, I'm all of a sudden looking. And all what I saw was the eyes of the boy that was doing the, um, the checkout. I saw that he was probably, you know, just waiting to get off work to maybe go do something, go see his girlfriend. I looked to my like my left, and there was this woman that was, you know, you could tell she was tired. She had been working. She had a family. You know, she's probably just going doing some shopping so she can go home and fix dinner. I just saw these people for what they were, and um, it it was just this amazing experience. But it, what it did was it gave me some peace, and I. Um, Sharon, I'm so glad you led the meditation and what you did today because a few days later I was telling a friend about it because it really did, it, it sent me home feeling peaceful. Um, and I was telling my friend Sally about it and she said, be still and know I am God. And that's all she said to me. Um, so it unexpectedly um, gave me some peace during that really rough time. Thank you. Thank you, Candace. Isn't this fun, guys? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's so great. I've been hearing people from people that you don't necessarily know within the congregation, and um, all these stories are just so wonderful and so relatable too. I think that's one of the the big themes and revelations throughout the moth in general is that we we often feel like stories are so personal to us because they're ours and they're so powerful to us, and they are. But when they are shared what we realize is that that piece of us is reflected in so many different people, right? That our common human experience is, is, are, is, is pretty profound. Uh, so next up, we have Keith Rydenow. Get up for Keith. Is this going to be uh, an artistic saxophone story? No? Maybe, all right, we'll see. Thank you so much. Um, you know, what we're doing today is 90% of why I come to church. I'm extremely interested in how the Spirit works through everybody else. I know my story, but knowing your stories is why I come most of the time. That and a little bit of Pete. <laughs> anyway, um, in 1994, I played in a band called Tom and the Cats. And we're playing a gig at the Viking Lounge in Novato, which is one of the worst dive bars you can imagine. But I'm playing my sax, and some woman in a green dress is dancing in front of me. And I had a policy, I didn't hit on the patrons. I felt like that was my office, and I wasn't gonna hit on people in the office. So at the end of the gig, Tom says that that woman and another woman wanted to double date with us. And he goes, yeah, Keith, let's go. We'll, we'll, we'll smoke pot and we'll drink and we'll have a great time. I go, Tom, I don't smoke and I don't drink. I'm the last guy you want on this date. He goes, please, 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 we got to do it. So we did it. I've always promised my wife I'm not going to talk about the specifics because it's kind of crazy. But what happened was, for the first time ever, I, I met somebody I wanted to take care of. This wasn't about dating and having fun and all the things you do when you're 40 to be crazy. It was about, I, I want to take care of this woman. And that was the first time that had happened for me. 
and we've been married now, I think, 22 years. Yeah. Thanks, Keith. Keith, what's your wife's name? Donna. Thanks, Donna. <laughs> um, Lisa Merrick is up next. similar to Brian's. Um, I was born and raised in this church. Well, I wasn't born here. <laughs> but I was reborn here when I was nine. Became a member at nine. And I was very active. We came to church three times a week. Plus my high school, what we call Baptist Youth Fellowship. I was the president of it. So then it's four times a week. So I nearly lived here, and I loved God, and I loved Jesus. And um, then I turned 15, and I had friends who weren't Christians, and they came to church finally, came to church with me, and I ran into some hypocrisy here, and um, it really affected me. And so I quit the church. I just quit. This was a big deal to me, this hypocrisy, which I didn't expect out of a group of people that I loved and went to church with for many years. And so I stopped loving God. I denied God. And then several years later, I was drinking and using, and I came to recovery after reaching a terrible place. And so I came into recovery, and I was only in recovery two days, three days, and they said the Lord's Prayer. We all held hands and said the Lord's Prayer, and I found God. Just like that, there was a white light, and I was so excited. I raised my voice to God, and so that was really unexpected that I would find God again. It took me a while to find the church, back in the church, but I was active in AA. I was, I was, really took a long time to come back here. But Pete had a lot to do with that. And of course, so did God. So that's my unexpected story. Thank you, Lisa. Myrick. <laughs> uh, Pam Reuter, come on down. It's a long walk. One last big round of applause for Pam. Okay, so it's a good thing I'm already crying because I'm going to cry more. Um, so it's July 19th, 2019, and we're leaving for Hawaii the next day. And just to set the tone, Keith, my husband, and I had had two and a half very difficult years with very significant betrayals in our life, 
and my best friend was diagnosed with a glioblastoma multiform, which is like the worst kind of brain cancer. And then we put my mom in hospice, and then my best friend passed away, and then my mom passed away. And then one of our children was in a terrible car accident and ended up with a broken neck. And while they were doing the scans and the images of the neck, they discovered that there was a recurrence of thyroid cancer. So this was all in a period of like two years. And Keith and I decided we really needed to get away. And how awesome would it be if we could bring our kids and our grandkids? So I don't know if you've ever heard the term herding cats, but trying to get our kids and all of our grandkids' schedules to align so that we could find a week to go to Hawaii was a miracle in and of itself. But we found it. So I, we were planning this trip, and our, our out-of-town kids were coming that evening. We were leaving for Hawaii the next day, and I'm out running errands. And I remember going down Lincoln Avenue, Caleb's on the radio, and my head's just spinning with everything I need to do to make this trip perfect for everybody, you know. And the song comes on the radio that I've never heard before, but the lyrics resonated with me. And I thought, that's a really good song. Never heard it before. I don't know if it's a new release. I don't know anything about it. Don't know the artist. And I just get back into running my errands but this song kept nagging at me. And I couldn't remember exactly what the lyrics were. <clears throat> but I knew that it was, it just hit me, it just grabbed me. And so I kept running my ears and kept trying to dismiss it, but it wouldn't let me go. I had to find out about this song, it was crazy. I was 60 years old, I've never called a radio station in my life. <laughs> I called Caleb, and God bless the lady that answered the phone, because she starts going through the playlist for like the last hour. And I'm going, no, it's not that song, that doesn't sound right, oh, okay. Finally she says the name, You Know Me Better by Scar Stars Go Dim. Don't even know this group, don't know anything about it, but I thought, well, that might be it. So I thank her very much, hang up the phone, Google it, of course, on my phone, and play it, and that was the song. And I couldn't get it out of my head. I came home, I told my husband about it, I put it on repeat on Alexa. I thought, why am I supposed to know this song? What is it about this song that is supposed to be like a lesson here for me, or what is it? I posted it on Facebook. Maybe it's supposed to help somebody else. So I put it on Facebook. You know, I've never called a radio station, but I did today. This song is awesome. So fast forward, we have a great trip in Hawaii. Um, we come home, hit the ground running again with everything we need to do, getting ready for thyroid cancer surgeries, all this stuff, and my phone rings. And it's one of my tenants. And I said, hey, Robbie. And he goes, Pam, the house is on fire. And I said, what are you talking about? And he goes, the house is on fire. I called 911. They're coming. And I said, just get out of the house. Get, get everybody out of the house. I called Keith. said, the middle arc house is on fire. He said, I'll meet you there. I'm driving over. And I'm thinking, like, a grease fire or something. As I'm driving across town, I see the plume of smoke. And I'm like, oh. Okay, so I get there, 
fully engulfed house, the neighbor's house fully engulfed, their fifth wheels fully engulfed. And I, that was like one of the longest afternoons of my life, stood there, watched the house burn, trying to help my tenants, dealing with fire department reports, dealing with the police department, um, the Red Cross came to help my tenants, all this stuff, I called my insurance agent, everything. At the end of the day, everybody left except for two firefighters that were staying to babysit the fire overnight. And I remember getting in my car and sitting down, taking a deep breath. I'm like, how am I going to get through this? This is like one more thing. And I turned the car on and I reached up to turn the radio on and nothing happened. So I thought, oh, I must not have pushed the button. I'm reaching up to push it again. And from the very first tone, that song started. And I remember saying, okay, I get it. God put that song on my heart so that he could use it when I needed to know that he was with me and he was going to see me through that. When I was completely depleted and feeling overwhelmed, he sent me that message that he was with me. Thank you. Thank you, Pam. What was the name of the song again? You Know Me Better by Stars Go Dim. You Know Me Better by Stars Go Dim. I'm saying this so I can look at myself later on YouTube so I know. <laughs> oh, listen to it. Thanks. Um, Elizabeth, come on down. Again, it's a long walk, so I'll cover it a little bit. Um, we've got, uh, let's see, one, two, three, four more stories, gang. So, home stretch. Thank you so much to everybody who shared. Big round of applause for everybody. Elizabeth, take it away. Jurassic period and <laughs> my dad had recently purchased a small sailboat and was eager to take it out for its maiden voyage. Last night in Googling small sailboats, I'm guessing it was under 20 feet and had a small cabin, easy to tow with his pickup. He had gone to San Diego for a sailing lesson in the harbor, and he felt ready to do this adventure. But he wanted a little bit of extra safety and decided to go not to a lake nearby that we went to fairly often, but one well over an hour away that did not allow powerboats, just sailboats. We lived in the desert and the man-made lakes were very popular recreation sites. Even this lake's name seemed auspicious. Lake Pleasant was its name. There would be four of us on board that summer day, and after the drive, we started sailing with Dad at the tiller. It was breezy and enjoyable out on the lake, and he seemed to be getting relaxed with the operations of the sailboat. As it was getting somewhat gusty, 
he decided to take down the jib sail. That's the smaller sail at the front of the boat. And he asked me to just hold the tiller steady while he did that. With no forewarning to me, a gust of wind hit the mainsail and the craft went slowly onto its side and then quickly flipped. I was flipped into the water and swam up to the surface. This was my unexpected moment. I remember this moment with such clarity. I was not cold, the water was warm, and I quickly scanned for the others to surface. I saw no one on the shore, no other boats, and nobody other than me. I was not wearing a life jacket, but swam to the overturned sailboat whose hull was above the water and grabbed on. What came to me was the overwhelming need to make a decision of what to do next. Stay up with the boat, go under the boat to look for the others, swim to shore. These seem to be the top choices. But before going on, I need to tell you about the other two people on board that day. Besides my dad and I, there was my mother, and she was disabled. The previous year had been very difficult for her, and she was not physically strong. The other person was my fiance, and although physically fit, he was not a good swimmer. None of us was wearing a life jacket. What did I decide to do at that moment? I made the decision. I stayed. And that's it. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. That was perfect timing on the gust of wind, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Virginia, come on down. Has anyone else ever been in a capsized boat like that? No? Yeah? It's a scary moment. Um, no matter if you're prepared for it or not, it's always a scary moment. All right, big round of applause for Virginia. Good morning. Um, my unexpected moment happened when I was driving on a rural Minnesota road home from Christmas, visiting my sister on Christmas, and I was driving my parents' car. Um, I took the wrong car turn home and was on, on an unexpected road, and um, pretty soon up in front of me I noticed that there was a car that had just driven right in front of me and I had to make a choice. Do I try to drive around it? Do I T-bone them? <laughs> and it was a large panel van and so I, um, at that time I was like this where I was out of church and so I um, found myself crying out to Jesus. I just yelled, Jesus save, save us because my parents were in the car and I T-boned the panel van. And 
when the woman that was driving got out, um, I realized it was a family van and there were children in the car and um, I was just terrified that um, there was going to be death involved because my parents weren't making noises that, you know, this woman was screaming about her children. And I just, at that moment, realized that um, if we got it through this situation, it was because Jesus saved us. But that wasn't the unexpected part of this accident. Um, what was is when I attempted to get out of the car and realized that I had severely injured my foot. And um, it's called the Franco-lateral dislocation of your metal tarsus. And basically meant I rearranged every bone in my foot because my foot had been on the pedal. And um, the doctor told me they had never seen this injury before um, World War II when tank operators got this injury and they usually, you know, amputated the foot. And so, um, thank goodness, orthopedic surgeons um, had made great progress in this um, area and I got um, my book, all my foots got put back in place and I had lots of pins and lots of metal in my foot and I was in a wheelchair for over um, six months. And when I went to attempt to walk again, I found that I had had a nerve ganglia that had grown um, in the soft tissue. And the doctor told me um, it would take up to a year to resolve that. It felt like I was walking on a golf ball of pain. So um, it hurt to physically walk. It hurt severely <laughs> to walk. Um, but I persevered and got off my crutches and everything else. And then I developed plantar fasciitis in the other foot. And so I was back on crutches. Um, it hurt to walk. Um, and my friend invited me to a revival at her church. I went because I loved my friend, but um, I didn't have any great deal of faith in a revival. She didn't tell me that it was a healing revival. So I went in and just sat there in the pew thinking, you know, okay, God, you know, if you're there, heal the plantar fasciitis. You know, go ahead and do it. Now. And the minister said, Somebody in this audience is praying for the wrong foot. God is bigger than what you're asking him for. Ask for the other foot. I just said that. My friend put her hand out and touched my shoulder, and she said, I'm praying for your right foot. And at that moment, I got an intense physical sensation in my right foot. It was like it was on fire. And I just sat there and I said, you know, God, if, if this is you, thank you. For the first time in 18 months, I walked out of that church with no pain in my right foot. That was 25 years ago. Um, my orthopedic surgeon told me I would have severe arthritis. Um, and a really a tendency to hurt that foot all the time. And I'm klutz, you know, I usually have something injured 
on my body at any time, but that foot has never bothered me again. And that was my unexpected miracle. And, um, you know, I come from a family of kind of, we're all religious, but we didn't believe, we thought healing was something in the past. And so I've never told that story publicly because it's like um, the miracles. But coming to this church, I realized even if it was a spontaneous healing at that moment, that's okay. That's okay. Because I recognized God in that moment. And in that unexpected moment, I made a reconnection to him. And that's what the miracle was. It wasn't my fault at all. So thank you. Give it up one more time for Virginia. All right, last but not least, uh, in our house we call her the hammer, the closer. Uh, give it up for my wife, Ann Wagner. The hammer. <laughs> it was the early 2000s and I was in my mid-20s when I decided to go teach English overseas. I had been a Spanish minor in college, so naturally, when I was deciding where to live, I ended up in Vietnam. <laughs> <laughs> and the minute I got there, I knew it was the right choice. I was assigned to a city called Ving, and I should tell you right now that Lonely Planet publications that year um, had this to say about that fine city. Unless you're a fan of dreary Soviet architecture, yes. there's no reason to visit Bing. <laughs> and that was true. <laughs> but when I got there, I knew it was the place I was supposed to be because it felt like a place that was on the brink of great change. And it was the kind of place where students still wore the traditional outside, the traditional dress to, to school, but Underneath, they might have like sparkle tennis shoes or like an English, you know, a shirt with like really weird English written on it. And people still wore conical hats everywhere you went. And there were bicycles and motorbikes filling the roads. And yeah, there was a taxi here and there, but you just looked at that road and knew that in a few years it was going to be filled with cars. It felt like a place that was about to change. And I also felt like a person that was about to change. And my three and a half years there really accelerated that change. Now, when you live overseas, there are a few things you learn to expect. You know that the food is going to be different. You know that the language is going to be hard. And you know that most of the time, you're not going to have any idea what's going on around you. And that was really true for me. And I made peace with most of it and learned to accept most of it. But there were a few things that I couldn't accept about living in Vietnam. One of those things was the laundry situation. Now, the apartment that I lived in, the apartment building I lived in, did not have a dryer, as most places in Vietnam did not have dryers, because you had lots of heat outside, right? But we were on the fifth floor of an apartment building, so the only place to dry our clothes was on our front balcony. And the other two 
American teachers that I lived with had no problem drying their clothes out front. Because if you looked across the way at the student housing and the teacher housing, it was filled with people drying all of their clothes. And I'm talking boxer shorts and underwear and bras. It did not matter. It was on their front balcony. But I couldn't do it because I come from a family where anything that's covered by underwear is just called your privates. <laughs> you don't name your privates, you don't talk about your privates, and you definitely don't put them out on the front balcony where you're going to be greeting guests, right? <laughs> so I will dry my clothes inside where there's no airflow. Thank you very much. But that was about to change. And it changed because of our helper, Mrs. Zoom. Mrs. Zoom um, came to our house twice a week, and we employed her, and she was amazing. She took out our trash and cleaned our floors and cooked for us. She spoke not a word of English, but she had infinite patience with our very broken Vietnamese. And she could get such a deal on pork, like she was really saving us money. And she was about to change my life. Mrs. Zutman was an excellent cook. And so when she invited us to her home for dinner, we jumped at the chance because we're like, yeah, another meal from Mrs. Zoom? Yes, please. So a few weeks later, we found ourselves carrying some gifts from America and some fruit that we had just bought. And we were winding our way through the serpentine alleyways of the beautiful city of Ving. And we were on our way to Mrs. Zutton's house. We turned the corner and my fellow teacher, Sandy, just stopped in the middle of the road. And she grabbed my arm. And I look at her and she just looks shocked. And I follow her eyes to Mrs. Zutton's front stoop. And there, on Mrs. Zutton's front stoop, was a pair of underwear I had thrown away weeks ago, <laughs> acting as her welcome mat. <laughs> My underwear was Mrs. Zutton's welcome mat. <laughs> I mean, like, where do you even begin to process that? How do you start? I mean, you have to respect it. <laughs> like, nothing's going to waste here. This is amazing. And it is a really cute pair of underwear. I mean, it's like polka dotted and rainbow colored. And it's granny panties, but like cute granny panties, right? <laughs> and it was also just the right size for Mrs. Zutton's feet. And Mrs. Zutton wipes her feet on my cheeks. <laughs> and everyone in this neighborhood, whenever they come to visit Mrs. Zutton, they wipe their feet on this piece of clothing that used to protect my privates. <laughs> my privates are now public. <laughs> and for a second, I'll be honest, I felt so much shame and I was so mortified that I almost couldn't go inside Mrs. Zoom's house. I mean, I was about to cry. But what saved me in that moment, my saving grace, was the utter shock of it all. Because before I knew it, 
I was taking off my sandals next to my old undies, and then I was wiping my feet on those polka-dotted beauties that had once housed my bum. And I went inside Mrs. Zoom's house, and we had a lovely meal, and we looked through her old family photos, and I met her family, and I did check out her kitchen just to make sure that she didn't have an old bra, like, holding any potatoes or onions or anything. And then I left, and I got my shoes from next to the, that old pair of underwear. And I thought, it's not a bad welcome, Matt. And from that night on, I never had trouble drying my clothes, all of my clothes, out on our front balcony. Because I didn't just leave my sandals on Mrs. Zoom's front stoop. I left a bit of my shame. And it was really a great lesson. All right, everybody, give yourselves a round of applause, everyone. Thank you so much to everyone who shared. Uh, again, I just feel so honored to be part of a community where everyone feels so free and open to share stories like this and where everyone is so supportive and loving of each other. Um, so let's close as we always do uh, with our version of the Lord's Prayer. Pete Lynn, you missed a good one. Uh, I hope you guys get to watch this later. All right. All together now. Our loving, supportive, holy Abba, your presence is here and everywhere. May your divine commonwealth come. May your will be done through us. We are grateful for the gift of food and work for all to eat their fill. May we work for a world where mutual grace and respect abound. May we foster shalom everywhere. Strengthen us for the work to which we are called. Amen, and may it be so. Thanks so much for coming, everyone. Hope you have a great day. If you turned on to the moth, just turn on NPR in your car and the drive home. Take care.